Good morning. I'm Madeline. Welcome to the Buckingham Podcast. I'm across. I'm Marjorie Smith. Also welcome. And I hope everything goes well for all of you. Thank you. I'm Patricia. Welcome to everybody to the Buckingham Podcast. Good morning, everybody. This is Peter. Welcome to the Buckingham Podcast. Good morning. My name is John Lockhart. Welcome to the Buckingham Podcast. Good morning. I'm Janice, and I'm also welcoming you to the podcast. So we said World War II, I think. Yes, yes it was. Great. So our topic is World War II. And, um, and surrounding wars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Any war will do. Yeah. Well, World War II, the day that it was over, I know I was in the bathtub taking a bath. I wonder if that was a Saturday, because we used to take baths on Saturday nights, the hot water. But I knew it was a big racket outside. I was in the tub, an enormous racket. And I could see toilet paper coming down already from the bathroom windows. Oh, it's there. And of course, I got dressed and found out the war was over. And they were out in the streets. The streets were blocked off. No cars could come up. There was no traffic coming. And beer was set up, beer tables were set up from one sidewalk to the other sidewalk. And beer, you could have anything you wanted there. Beer, food, or they were going. The lady next door, her name was Mrs. Dowling. She had an old couch and she wanted to get rid of it. So this was a perfect opportunity. She put the couch out, couch out and set it on fire and it went up in flames. And after that went up in flames, there was a whole bunch of other things that probably go <laughs> up in flames. Nobody spent, nobody brought out their husband or wife to put them on the fire. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it was exciting. I remember that day. Exciting day. August something or other, wasn't it? Pardon me? August something or other? Well, that was, uh, yeah, that was, Japan was August. Uh, Europe was uh, was April, I think. Yes, yeah, Or May. I have something interesting to tell you about. My uncle, I do not know where he was stationed in Germany at the time, but his platoon was instrumental in clearing out the area and they captured a German flag. German what? Flag from the area that they cleared out. the German flag was sent years, years later. It was kept in secrecy, secrecy, hidden, and uh, you know, watched by the Americans. They brought it to Columbine, Columbine, years later, after they had the auxiliary uh, established in Columbine, and that's where it's housed. And my uncle is one of the men in the platoon whose names are on the record of 
capturing this uh, German flag. Mm. And they have the date and the area that they cleared out. I have no factual things on it. My cousin sent me a picture of the flag, the way they're, they're keeping it in the village. She went to the dedication to Columbine. And this was after the, uh, the big uh, problem they had in Columbine. And so she went by herself to the dedication and uh, took back pictures of the interior of the auxiliary and how they displayed this German flag. But my, my uncle's name with the platoon numbers are on the uh, paperwork. I wasn't able to reach them to find out the name of the towns and the exact place. But that's what happened in my family. Good. My uncle came home from the war. That's good. And he was never the same. So I don't know if he was actually instrumental in killing him. Oh, so many of those fellas. Mm -hmm. I, I knew a bunch of guys from Korea. You know, like personally, yeah. you know, they were a little older than I was. But they were like, you know, just regular guys from the neighborhood. And I know two or three that went to Korea, came back from Korea, I mean, and they were, they never recovered. No, never the same. Never recovered. Never. Well, I, I don't think people can recover from wars. Uh, they have these, the um, PTSD, and yeah. they yeah. just Shell don't shock. ever recover. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, and many of them don't want to talk about it. Uh, no. in, in, Older wars. Yeah. When Maybe I say not, recover, not I, I'm referring to recovering to the point where you can manage a, manage your life. A normal life. Yeah. The yeah. same way. You never I don't mean get better that you're cured or anything like that. No, I think we understand that. But for the decades gone by when some of the older wars, like World War II or the Korean War, People did not want to talk about it when they came no, home. It was the norm mm -hmm. that you didn't talk about it. They just kept it kept it suppressed. Uh, but in more recent wars, people do talk about it. But there's still a large number of people who take their own lives yeah. because yes. they come home and they're not being treated for the um, the mental stress that they've suffered. I have a friend whose father's still alive from World War II, and he, he had three daughters. And all he ever told his daughters was, don't marry anybody in the military. <laughs> that was his advice. Because he couldn't handle it himself. Yeah. My father was the same way. Father father was in the war? He was in World War II. He was here? Yeah. Uh, he was... Uh, commissioned to leave and come home on a certain certain day. My mother was all set with the Christmas presents under the tree because he was due to be back before the holiday. He got his orders got pushed aside and he had to stay longer. 
Easter, she still had the Christmas tree stand. Yeah. She could have taken that Christmas tree, turned it upside down, and had it ready for the next year. <laughs> That's how, you know, long it took. But by the time my father came home, I, they got married April 27th. So, That's how long it waited. Well, you never knew when you were going to be called out, or when you when you did go here or there on a maybe to to yes. uh, maybe to the Philippines. You didn't know how long you were going to be gone. Maybe you weren't coming back. Yeah. Maybe you were going to be a Jap prisoner over there too. Who knows? Scary. That that march was horrible. My mother always told me that my mother always, for some reason, had a special liking for Filipinos. And she always said that they were so good to the Americans during the death march. Yeah, to that, That's why she Baton, got yeah. the, the, yeah. to uh, admire the Philippines, Filipinos. I don't have very much to add about World War II because of course we were not involved in the war, but because we were so dependent on England for the yeah. stuff we needed. At that time there was no jets or anything, and every uh, most of our food are, you know, if you wanted to buy shoes or something, apparently they can't. Again, this is only stuff I've read, like afterwards. Mm. Again, as I said, I do not remember anything or very much about the war, other than hearing my folks talk about it. You know, the adults would talk about the war, and as a little girl of maybe a couple of years, you didn't really, you weren't really aware what a war, you knew what a war was, but you didn't understand a lot about it. And uh, that's why you see I don't have a lot to add to this conversation because I didn't know anybody who was, I do know some of my uncles that lived in Brooklyn were in the war because I heard about it later on. Or I understood more about it when I grew up. And uh, fortunately, or I guess fortunately, they all came back to my knowledge the ones that were in the war all came back. I don't know where they served, but I'll assume it was overseas. And uh, I'm sorry, I wish I had more to add, but I don't. Well, I'm a baby boomer, so anything that I know comes from after I was born. And I did learn about many relatives who were either in Europe or in the Pacific. And um, again, the stories that I got from my mother were that they did not want to talk about anything when they came home uh, and many of since there were many uncles that went uh, to either Europe or, or the Pacific there were a number that did not come back there were a few that were in submarines they never got back oh. um, and my I have one uncle well had he's deceased now who was in, in Normandy uh, he did. He did come back, and uh, but again, not wanting to ever talk about what happened. Um, and then I had one uncle who was in the Philippines, uh, and he were in the Pacific, and he talked about 
once he talked to me about something that occurred. Um, and it was the only time I remember any relative ever wanting to talk about what happened. So he was um, whatever he was, a private, a corporal, I'm not sure, but he had a gun. His assignment was to help overtake the enemy, which was nearby. My uncle said he came face to face with a Japanese soldier, and it was one shoots the other, and whoever shoots first, that's what was gonna happen. But what my uncle told me was, it was the worst thing he ever had to do. He saw the face of this other young man mm. before he shot him. Oh, Something he could yeah. never ever forget. Um, so it, it's even hard to comprehend that, talking about it, because it's not something I ever had to deal with. Yeah. You know, you know, every, we all hated the Germans and the Japanese during, during the war, but there was a special hatred for the Japanese. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. There was just something yeah. special. Now, I, I guess that may oh, have Pearl been... Harbor thing. Yeah, it may have been that, but it, it was part, that was part of it. But I think part of it was because they were different. We used to portray them as, you know, the way we used to make fun Ruthless. of them in the papers and put horns and yeah. everything on them. Ruthless. Yeah, and because they were Asians. But um, they talk about that atom bomb and, and people, the people at the time felt different about the people that came along later and decided, well, they probably shouldn't have used the atom bomb and this and that and this and that. But at the time, everybody that I knew was glad they dropped that bomb and they won. Yeah. And it just would have took so many lives. Yeah, it stopped the war. Yeah, That's to right. stop the war. Sorry, yeah. and, That's um, what they wanted to do. They wanted to stop the war, yeah. Yeah. They had enough. Now, as I was going to say before, my uncle was in the, he was a pilot in the European section of the war. They wanted him to re-enlist and he wouldn't because by then he had a wife and a child. But apparently, from what I understand, he worked with the French underground getting um, any the allies the out of the area, either into Switzerland or an uh, aircraft carrier. So that's what he did. Well, he must have been with the, with the, with the um, OSS or something if he was working with intelligence. Yeah, I don't know. But I know when he sent a letter home, it was on this very thin paper, and so much of it was blacked out by the American intelligence, oh, yeah. I guess, yeah. even the weather. Because they said yeah. if the Germans got a hold of that letter and could check back for the weather when he wrote it, they would know where the landing field was that they yeah. took off from. So all he could say is, I love you all, and I hope to see you soon. That wouldn't be blacked out, but just about everything else was, you know? Then, of course, I was alive during the war and all that stuff, but I remember when the war was over, my feeling was, because my radio programs would be interrupted by war news, mm -hmm. and the last five minutes of every show was news, so my feeling was there won't be any more news because the uh, war was over and the Long Ranger or whatever I was listening to could right. continue. <laughs> that's right. So that's a child's thing. But then the rationing, the food rationing and the clothes rationing, 
I remember yeah. everybody, um, the shoe rationing, I guess was part of the clothes. And I had to wear special shoes, so that took up lots of all the stamps. And everybody in the family got stamps. So even if you were six months old, because it just went in the family rationing system. Rationing stamps, everybody got them. You know, and that was that. Then uh, my brother, of course, was too young for the Korean War, too. Too old for Vietnam. So my immediate family missed everything. But my father was the warden for the neighborhood to check the blackout shades. Yeah. And that was my father's job, so he did that. Boy, because that's he couldn't me. enlist because he was working at a defense plan, they said, which was American Can Company. And by then he had two kids. So I don't think they drafted you if you had a wife and two kids. But, um, no. you know, the whole, the rationing impressed me and the letters that my uncle sent home. They really impressed me. I think gas was rationed too, but I don't know how they did it. But because we had a car. We lived in Westwood. We lived in the suburbs. So you actually can remember the food rationing? Yeah. And how it affected your family. You, you can remember sure. that. Well, I think everybody knew about Spam. Yeah. Yeah, we did. No yeah, way. and yeah. Sunday dinner might be Spam with clothes in it to pretend it was ham or something. Yeah. But everybody lived on, as far as I know, that was a major meat. But we could get, because we lived in an area where there were lots of farms, we could get fresh vegetables and berries when they were in season, and occasionally fresh eggs and occasionally a chicken. I remember the rationing stamps for the sugar. Yes, I yeah. I think that was a red, red circular one, I think. I know. I gave my stamps to my niece so her kids could take them to school when they were studying this stuff. Yeah. Oh. yeah, sugar, because my mother liked to bake. And with sugar rationing, of course, that cut a lot of that out. Yeah, I, I think there was, there was um, margarine too, I think. You, margarine? What do you margarine. call that? Squeeze uh, oleo. Oleo, oleo, not oleo. Yeah. But then you put the yellow in? Crisco, what about Crisco, that oh. stuff? Yeah, I don't know if that was rationed. But that oleo stuff, you put the yellow, Yellow food dye in to yeah. make it look like butter. Yeah. Oh, they they. You rationed. remember that? Yeah. There was even rationing on textiles. Mm -hmm. When my mother was planning her wedding, her sister was planning to make her wedding gown. My father was aboard a, a destroyer coming home. He sent my mother a parachute. Oh. And my aunt was all thrilled. Oh, now I can make your wedding gown. It's silk. I can make the wedding gown out of silk. So there she had the textile she needed to make a wedding gown. My mother walked down the aisle in a parachute. Where did they get the parachute? My father sent it oh. from overseas. It was silk, right? Yes. Oh. And she walked down the aisle with the gores in the parachute in her train. And my aunt did it so creatively. Yeah. With pearls around the neck, the, the first pearls, the plastic. My mother never knew they were real pearls. All the clothes 
that I can remember at the time, and everybody used to shop in rummage stores, what we used to call yeah. rummage stores. Mm -hmm. There were second-hand stores or third-hand, whatever. They were all on Columbus Avenue, store after store, and you went in there and you rooted through the stuff in there with your parents to see if you find yeah. something, and then you went into the next one, the next one. And hand-me-downs. Well, I wore my brother's hand-me-down good coat for years. It was a Chesterfield coat. Well, we didn't have to have a war for that. Yeah, yeah. right. We all went through that growing yeah. up. Yeah. Getting the hand me And there was nothing wrong with it. And even when I was teaching school, I retired in 93, there were three cousins that I got over the years. And there was one dress, little dress. I loved it. I called it the lollipop dress. And when the first cousin wore it, I thought, good, they're still handing down. And it was an adorable dress. Then when the third little girl came in with the same dress, I thought they're really utilizing that dress, you know? What color was it, do you remember? It was a pinkish background with all light blue, light green, light red, things that would look like lollipops. And, um, you know, it was just a, I just thought it was an adorable dress. Made you know? for Shirley Temple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or something. Exactly I don't know who bought it to begin with. You know, it could have been the girl's grandparents for all I know, but I just, and I was so glad to see it as years went on, you know. Because my snowsuits would go to my sister and then to a cousin and somebody else, and my mother would make hooked rugs and braided rugs out of them. So you utilized everything. But yeah, the, the rationing and the oleo with the yellow tablet you put in so it looked yellow. We had a milkman. I don't know how much milk we got. Oh, and we had a bread man and a nice man. Yeah, we had it too. We had the uh, square container. Uh, I guess it was to hold the, the cold in. Yeah. It was like really old metal container that the bottles of milk would be placed in. Yeah, with the cream on the bottom? The best, no, cream on top. Oh, on top, okay, yeah. That was the best. Yeah. I remember that. And I remember my mother saying my father was the only one who could use the cream before it was all, you know, mixed together. Because he's the one earning money for all of us, so he could put cream in his coffee. And then my mother mixed it all, so it was homogenized, you know. I think all of our parents learned to be very economical because oh, yeah. of what they went through. Yeah. And that led us to have childhoods where we did see the hand-me-downs, how mothers may be making clothes for us mm -hmm. instead of buying them, um, being very careful about food. You never wasted food. No. Uh, that was something they learned because of what they went through. Yeah. They and lived we with saw them. it growing up. Yeah. And everybody that could had a garden, even if it was on the rooftop in an apartment. I had relatives that had rooftop gardens. I remember the lights, the power, power, turn off the lights, yes. the lights. Yes. You walk through this building, forget it. The lights are on. Yeah. just flick the lights on and forget it. How yeah. uh, popular is polenta? Polenta? I came from an Italian background. Polenta was peasant food. That's what they still mm. eat polenta. Yeah, but now it's so popular. You go into yeah. an oh. upscaled uh, restaurant in the city, <clears throat> and you order polenta, and you pay top dollar for it. What and is polenta? It's cornmeal. Cornmeal, okay. And 
The Italians used to make it in a slab, and they used to section a slab. On a slab, the yeah, okay. They pour it out of the, the uh, pot, actually onto the tape, mm -hmm. and you cut how much you were going to eat. Oh, well, yeah. They didn't have enough dishes or tableware, yeah. so they would eat it like that. My grandmother shook her head when I said I like polenta. That's peasant food. You don't have to eat that. <laughs> but I you like it. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> they put gravy on it and everything. It was the state. And then yep. into Korea, then Vietnam. Vietnam is a new story. People. Vietnam, about people hated them. Vietnam, because because they were they were to they were to the with the um, they kill people in schools and mm -hmm. they hated but they tried to go over there. I think now now they Vietnam is a big thing tourist attraction. Yeah, and then it was probably fifteen. It was after I retired years ago, so it was more than the. I went to Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos as a tourist. And in Vietnam, we could see the tunnels that they talked about. Yeah, the Americans used to That's what I killed my brother in one of them tunnels. Yeah. He was killed in Vietnam. Yeah. Really? And they used those tunnels for hospitals, schools, and everything. And Laos was a beautiful country. They were all beautiful countries. What year did you visit? Oh, I retired in 93, so maybe close to 2000, you know, way after the war. But, yeah. you know, they, well, we were in the city of Hue, which was the capital of either the North or South Korea, uh, Vietnam at one point. It was the old, old capital. Huh? Yeah. It was the old capital, the ancient capital, Hue, H-U-E. Yeah. And they... They didn't like us being there, but they didn't stop us from doing anything either. So, you know, that I remember I bought a uh, a, a stone. I, it was $10. We were in the museum, and I didn't have $10 with me. So someone else on the tour group lent it to me, and he said, send me a picture when you get set. So I did, and I wore that ring for a long time. Now I think my... Somebody in the family has it, but um, you know that was that. And in way, we happened to be there over St. Patrick's Day, and uh, we were looking for beer. And in way, we found Guinness, fish and chips, and a shepherd salad. So we found all the Irish stuff, and they said. Of course they know about it because the Americans were here. Right. So they knew, you know, they knew. So I forget what kind of a, well, we, yeah, we had Guinness and we must have had an American beer, but I don't remember. But that surprised me that, that that's the influence the Americans had was food and beer, <laughs> you know. Well, don't you think, at least I think the Americans are looked up to in most countries. Yeah. Because they think we're... Uh, all rich, <laughs> yeah. All right, that we have everything mm, at our disposal. I got that name. Thank I think I got the message. Okay. So, I, on the Vietnam, on the vets, Vietnam returning vets, 
Um, you, you know, there was so much controversy over Vietnam, but the people, the, the soldiers that did go, they were doing what they were told to do, yeah. and then they would came home and they were treated, many of them, very badly. Yeah. Yes. And that incident in the Tonkin Gulf yeah. it never happened. The incident that supposedly set off the, ignited it, never happened where they, uh, the, the North Vietnamese raided uh, ships, attacked uh, our destroyers in the Tonkin Gulf. That was a bunch of crap. McNamara admitted that was a lie. I read, I read some oh. crazy statistic, or I forgot what exactly it was, but it was saying that in World War II, American soldiers that went into battle, only like, like a small, like thirty percent of people actually shot, like right. shot their gun, that they, like their rifle that right. was given to them. But yeah. in Vietnam, um, it was something like, like. Ninety-five percent of soldiers that went into battle mm -hmm. shot their shot their gun that they were given. Yeah, and it was it was to do with the training for like the boot camp for Vietnam was so much more different than the uh, past. To like, you know, you know, there's all those movies yeah. about the training, uh, the boot camp mm -hmm. for for Vietnam War. How it's very like, um, like like the rigid training. Like the like the what is he called? The drill sergeant. He has to like you know like dehumanize you almost. Like he wants to make you like um. I don't know how you would put it. An animal, so yeah, that, that you're going to survive. Well, yeah. Right, right. He, want, he wants, wants to toughen you up so that once you're there, that seems like mm -hmm. easy. Right? So yeah. the fittest. Right. He wants to make it so you're not scared once you're there, like you're, you're, you're really prepared. But in turn, that that's what gave them all their PTSD was because when they came out of it and they were finished, it's like, what do you do with all that now? With all that... Um, they were killing a lot of training. their own officers at the time, too. Yeah, a lot of people, yeah. Fragged them, fragged them, what they used to call it. Then before I retired, there was an influx, and uh, that was Long Island at the time, of Vietnam's students, families. And those kids, well, the families, most of them, had a different idea of what they wanted their kids to do. They did not want their kids in the high school sports things. They wanted them at the library and learning something. So that it was a much different society. Yeah. You know. They don't even want them the kids to play touch ball where you throw the ball and hit, hit the kid with the ball. Oh. Crazy stuff. What do you call that game? You hit the kid with uh, the ball? Dodgeball? Dodgeball. Dodgeball. Dodge yeah. They want to ban that. It's too dangerous. Oh. <laughs> I think they have banned in some schools. But it was, you know, a whole different ethnic thing than we thought we would have to deal with here. They had a whole society that they want their kids to go to the library or to get into some advanced class, which some of, I don't know too much about what happened in the high school because I taught first grade. So it was a different, you know, I don't know if those kids ever did get in advanced classes. They well, if you, if you took teaching courses, you were, you, they didn't take you to Vietnam. If, if you took teaching and you went to school for teaching, you weren't, they didn't put you, you weren't drafted into Vietnam. No, you could get a deferment. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And that's what happened while we got all these, so many liberal teachers that we have to, that are in college, and there's so few conservative of any type. Yeah, our principal got a deferment. He got three of them before he went back to education. And getting a deferment's fine, but three is over the 
you know, three kind of... Yeah, yeah then you almost don't have to go. Yeah, you know, but if people have connections, they can That's get it. Yeah, they can get it. Yeah, that was probably it. Yeah, yeah. it should be. More what what should they That guy from uh, yeah. the movie guy that with the, makes all the movies, Braveheart and all that stuff. Which is Mel Gibson. Mel, Mel Gibson. Gibson. He was born in uh, Long Island. Oh. Yeah, the family's from Long Island. You don't and know the where. Father, no, I don't know where. The father took the family and moved them all to Australia because he didn't want his kids being drafted. Oh, wow. That's right. So Australia was Queens. They didn't go too far. Pardon me? Astoria, Queens? What about Astoria? That's where they moved to? Australia. What are you talking about? Oh, Australia. Australia. To Australia. Oh, Australia, okay. My husband had a friend from Australia. And what he did was he was an upholsterer. He came here and he worked in upholstery and made a good living. His wife was in glass work. She was blowing glass. She was etching glass. She had a lucrative business. So, at the point where their young children, they had two sons, they were going to be drafted. And at that time, it was when we were fighting uh, Australia. It was like they had relatives, cousins, who would be shooting the Americans and the American cousins would be shooting this. Oh dear. And what was this? I don't know yeah. what what uh, conflict that was. Yeah. What was that? I don't know. You, you said Americans and Australians were shooting each other? Yeah, yeah because they were allies, weren't they? I don't know what conflict it was. Yeah. After I retired, I volunteered one summer, I forget the name of the group, but I ended up in Pelican Rapids, Minnesota, teaching English to Spanish kids and Vietnam kids. I guess they were Mexicans, yeah. So whatever they learned in kindergarten or if they're in first grade, you know, this was all review stuff for them. And, um, you know, it was very rewarding because so here I am out of my country teaching my profession. But um, there was one little Mexican girl, one little Vietnam girl. They were so smart that I had them doing separate things than the rest of the kids because uh, they were so far more advanced. But both those parents understood that they had to help their kids at home and they had to read them books and they had them writing things, you know? So. You know, that was interesting, especially with, uh, I think the Mexican 
kids. In that town, they had a power plant, a big power plant, and a big chicken processing. I don't know what brand chicken or where the chickens came from because they couldn't all have been local because there were too many people working, you know, there. So those were the two main working things for the kids that I was teaching. But it was very interesting. And, you know, then you came back home and all the parents wanted their kids to do was play baseball or football. So there again, it was just a different mindset, you know? Yeah, to, but to, reading know. to your kids is such an important thing. I mean, I even knew oh, that yeah. back when mine were little. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it helps them be more advanced. It helps them sure. be brighter students. Yeah. Uh, so if you enjoy it and you read to them and they enjoy it, um, it's just a good thing to pass on that yeah. one should pass on. But one thing that yeah. I used to explain to the parents, if your child says to you, I want to read this page to you, let them read it. But mm -hmm. let it come from the child. If, you, if the parent says to the child, read this page, mm -hmm. let it pass. Let it come from the child that he wants to show you that I know something. The one thing I really uh, impressed in my children, they were very musical, and they learned how to play and read music mm. at very young ages. So not only did they read books, but they played instruments. That opens a whole different area. Yes, play. it does, yeah. And Patricia, were you going to say something? Not, nothing terribly important. I was just going to say you and I yesterday talked about the importance of reading to our children. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, we both, uh, you know, talked about how we were really uh, the first teachers of our children, yeah. parents who read to their children, and uh, we both agreed that it was very, very important. And it goes on forever. People in mental institutions are read to because it exercises their brain. Brain, yeah. I used to love to be read to. Or somebody told me a story when I was a kid. Yes, wasn't that the yeah. greatest thing? I'm sorry, yeah. we don't do something like that around here. Get a book, some book, start reading it, and then the next time we can continue with, you know, mm. like bingo. That's, we got bingo all the time. Yeah. That's we, a good excuse idea, me. Uh, I brought that idea up I years, was, years ago. Yeah. I was we just going to say, Marge, when uh, Ruthie was still here, she was right. a big reader too. She and I had suggested a book club, you know, that we could read books and then read talk us. about them in groups afterwards. Yeah, read but, to us because I can't see out of my left yeah. eye and but my it right ne eye. It never happened. Different. Nobody followed up on it. So Well, well this, this I'm thinking, have a book, have somebody read it to you. Mm -hmm. Not a, you don't have to belong to a club or anything. Like no, well, this was just something mm -hmm. we suggested for a, story, a club. To read you the story. And what mm -hmm. I used to do with the kids is take like the three little pigs and change the story and see how creative they were mm -hmm. because they knew the pigs did not live in houses. Oh, yeah. So what did they do? Where did they live? What did they eat? And, and just as a, a mental exercise, you know, and then have them write it out if they could or they'd dictate it to me. But just as something different. And things don't have to be like what you read. Like the three little pigs are not building houses. And the three little kittens did not lose their mittens because kittens didn't wear mittens. And just change some of those things, you know? 
Who else could lose mittens? Most of the kids said anybody could lose mittens. We all lost mittens. And they mittens. were right. Hmm? We all lost mittens at some point. Yeah, so that was just something different. And little Red Riding Hood didn't recognize her grandmother from a wolf. They all thought that was a little far-fetched. You know, you should know what your grandmother looks like. I read to my children every night. But the one that they enjoyed most, Ma, make us a story. Yeah. And I'd have to conjure something up. And I did it all the time. Mm. And Jack and the Beanstalk could not climb a beanstalk, kids decided. My kids used to find the most uh, joy out when I would tell them things about my childhood because they didn't mm. understand how different my childhood was from, from theirs. theirs. Yeah. And they thought it was great that I, they thought it was a shame that I didn't tell them more stories. Well, part of what Marjorie's talking about, I'm just the opposite. I like the fantasy of it. I like oh, yeah. Jack being yeah, able some to kids did that. Store. I like that stuff. Yeah, so, so some kids, let's say they rewrote uh, The Three Little Pigs. They had the pigs, their houses were not destroyed. Right. They had the pigs living in that house destroying the house, whatever else. Put them in bomb shelters. Yeah, so, so that was fine. And, but they knew it was pretend. Yeah, so, right. So that's all I cared about, you know. They knew they were writing fantasy. And there's one thing, this is completely off the track, so I won't talk about it now. I'll talk about it sometime when we talk about things that are completely off the track. Doesn't matter, you can go off the track. Because yeah. this has nothing to do with any war. You know the little red lighthouse under the George Washington Bridge? I've heard about it. And we used to be like able famous to see yeah. from the movies and from all the junkies yeah. that hang around in it. Yeah, now. But my mother was alive when they were building it, building the George Washington Bridge. Mm -hmm. And she liked the little red lighthouse. So when we got older, I think I was about eight, my father drove us over there to see it. And to me, that was the break between fantasy and reality mm -hmm. because the little red lighthouse existed. Where before that, it was all fantasy. Now I know it was real. It was real. Yeah, that, that's a famous lighthouse, believe me. Yes, it, it is. And it was one movie I forget they found somebody was murdered in it. I forget in the forties that movie was. From. I believe it, I because the, you know in the the story of the little red lighthouse, they talk about how the bad boys came in and turned off the lights and everything. Mm -hmm. So they it could have been true. Yeah. Somebody was murdered there, and now it's written up in magazines and everything. And the book was written by Hildebrand. I think it was called. Little Red Lighthouse in the Great Grave Bridge, you know the George Washington Bridge. But my mother used to read us that book when we were kids because she said she knew the bridge was being built. I'm always fascinated, and I never could kind of grasp, how do they build bridges? <laughs> bridges and tunnels. Isn't yeah. it amazing? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then the TV had all the specials about the Brooklyn Bridge and all that. And the Verrazano Bridge. but. That Suspension Brooklyn, bridges and other kinds of bridges, I don't know. The Brooklyn Bridge has such a special look to it. Yeah. If you see it, it you can't mistake it for any other bridge. No. It just has True. a very special look to it. Um, you were talking about stories and reading. 
And I, I brought me to a thought, and I don't know if anybody else ever noticed this. When I was younger, I certainly didn't notice it. When I got older, I did. A lot of our nursery rhymes, like Rockabye Baby, Jack and yeah. Jill, if you go through the whole nursery rhyme, they're actually a little violent. They were all very yes, cruel. Yes, they were. Yes. <laughs> I, what, uh -huh. what was up with that? Hansel you know? and Gretel. They're and yeah, they're supposed to be cute and entertaining, and what they is, are actually and violent. And Bambi, when but Bambi dies, never got and tired of hearing them. I know. I, well, I didn't either, but... Um, but again, when I got older, I thought, gee, these are, these are pretty violent. Yes. yes. I found it out when I was teaching preschool. And we would go out into the courtyard in the summer. And I'd make uh, the class sing the nursery rhymes. And then I got the idea, let's act it out. Yeah. And it got nasty. Mm -hmm. And I oh, said, this is crazy. I never looked at them. Yeah. So the people that created those, a lot of those nursery rhymes, which are old, um, what, what was the thought process there behind mm. people wanting to make this be entertaining for a child, but as you say, yeah. we never got tired of them, and, and yet have it be violent. And that one, that one was the little such and such gave her father 40 wax and then yeah. her mother would be <laughs> yeah. yeah, gave him 40 yeah. more. Even a prayer. Sleep. Now I lay me down to sleep. Something I read a question died before I wake. Uh -huh. And I remember being very young and saying to my mother, Why will I die? And she had to go through all this explanation. It's just a line on the prayer, it rhymes and everything. Uh -huh. But that bullying was I wanted to die that night. And I remember, but it's I remember during the war kids' prayer. Or after yeah. the war, yeah. it dawned on me. When Jack broke his crown, I took it literally that he had the crown like a king has. Oh, yeah. So I thought he was king, and if he was a king, why wasn't someone else fetching the water? Why did he have to get it? That was my thought process at the time. So it must have been the king of England, but Queen Elizabeth would have worn the crown. You know, I don't know why I knew that there was important people wore crowns. I was going to say there probably was a king at the time that they wrote the poem. Yeah. Not a queen. And then my first alphabet book was this big one. And Albrecht Durer, who was a famous German artist way back when, did all the illustrations for that. And that's the first time I knew there was a, a hare and a rabbit. And then as I got older, I liked Dara's work. He did those praying hands yeah. you see all over. Mm -hmm. So when I was in Germany one time, I found his home and his studio. And all I did was buy a tote bag with the picture of the, the praying hair hands. on it. Not oh, the praying hands, the the, yeah, the rabbit thing. But uh, I, I liked his work, and my mother thought it was very odd that as a child I picked out an artist that really very few people knew about. I don't know who they knew about what back then. They probably th didn't even think about it, you know, artwork, but anyhow. You know, you, know, you can talk about this artist and that artist and this artist. The one that I think was, was superb was Rockwell. The guy they used to paint, do for the Saturday Evening Post. I always think of that guy, the pictures my mother had hanging around and 
stuff like that. Yeah, Norman Rockwell stuff. Uh, Norman Rockwell. Yeah. yeah. In he, Massachusetts, he, he his, his studio was in Massachusetts, yeah. He was like, yeah, the Thanksgiving dinner and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, so many things. The doctor examining the child, remember? The, the, yeah. The, it was wonderful. And you know who else did great stuff? Courier and Ives. What? Courier and Ives. Yes. I remember all their ice skating pictures or winter pictures. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're both buried in Brooklyn, in that big cemetery. I don't know. But. How are we doing for time, Alex? We're still good. We still have at least 10 more minutes. Okay. But we're off the beaten track on wars. You know, it's well. funny, during World War II, you know, you read about it and you hear about it, and you find out how many people, like allies, hated each other, hated the guts of each other. One, mm. for example, you take um, you take you take uh, Montgomery and Brett and uh, Patton. They just hated each other, detested each other. Yeah, and, they both wanted to be boss. Well, for whatever reason, they hated yeah. each other, and I, I mean, it was uh, it was I think, and but there was other ones that hated uh. Bradley also hated uh, oh. Montgomery, and Montgomery wrote a book. Uh, Eisenhower wrote that book years years back, Crusade in Europe. He wrote yeah. a series of books, and at the time, Montgomery came out and said that this was a bunch of crap and that was a bunch of crap. What Eisenhower had written? Yeah, is that what you're saying? So there was a big debate on television. It went, it went from, it was. Uh, it was, it was, you know, he was in Europe, Montgomery was in London, yeah. and Eisenhower, of course, was in the White House at the time, and they were debating back and forth, and Eisenhower, and uh, Montgomery would criticize a Patton, of course, you know, and um, it it's just fascinates me how, how they could, and how they could, can you imagine a job that, that Eisenhower had getting? Having all them guys try and get along with each other. Yeah. Wow, that must have been. Something. And that must have been a movie, but uh, it was about what you're talking about. And Eisenhower wanted to be the chief in Europe, and he was. He, he wanted to be war. what? And then he wanted to run the European campaign. <laughs> and well, there was one Englishman who I think Montgomery wanted to run the campaign. Yeah. The only reason Eisenhower did run it was because an American was going to run it. We were supplying everything, and oh, that was yeah. the decision. And that was the reason. Yeah. Otherwise, Montgomery might have ran it. Yeah. But whatever, eventually the war was over. And you know, you, you take, um, you take um, uh, Truman and MacArthur, they hated each other. Yes, they did. They tested each other. Yeah. So there, there's another one. When I was talking about, uh, when I went to Minnesota, there was a family from North Dakota that hosted Vietnam kids. And uh, they were like foster parents, and I don't know when they grew up. But their mother was gonna come to North Dakota, and the parents in North Dakota sent the woman some money because she wanted to see how her children were doing in the United States. Yeah. because. She was one of the host families for the boat people. 
And the only way she would do it was if the boat, the, whoever was running mm -hmm. the boat people took her two youngest kids and made sure they got to the United States. She did a trade. Yeah, and it worked, and they were no, and the family that hosted them was a normal American family. So they were growing up with American culture and all that. Then the oldest girl tried to be a parent to the younger one. And the woman said, no, I'm your parent now too. You're so-and-so's oldest sister. And you can help by teaching the history of your country and writing your mother letters and all that. But you are not this little boy's mother. You're his sister. And you can be very important in his life as an older sister. Because she eventually opened, she married, event, uh, somebody else from Vietnam and opened up a Vietnamese restaurant someplace in North Dakota. And I often wondered how that worked out, you know? Because, you know, there must have been a lot of Vietnam people around there for her to open a restaurant. Well, a lot Americans, of them are in New Orleans. It doesn't even matter. The Americans yeah. are adventurous and they're the Battle of New Orleans? No, I say a lot of the Vietnamese oh, and, and, and whatnot are in that New Orleans area because of the fishing, big fishing yeah. thing down there. Yeah. Does anybody know what, this is a little bit off of a topic, what abalone is? Abalone? Or abalone? Abalone is the fish. The food, yeah. Yeah, have you ever had it? No. If I had Does it, I know. didn't know it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I've heard about it and heard about it over the years, every yeah. once in a while. And I always wondered what it was. Well, I saw a quick thing on TV oh. today. It was kind of a documentary. It's it's on the bottom of the uh, bottom of the uh, ocean, and um, very difficult to get, and it doesn't grow all over the place. It's very expensive, and it it comes in a shell. It's actually in a shell. Really? Abalone. Abalone? So it, is what that, is it, well, Pete? Is it a fish? What, 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 a shellfish? What is it? It must be a shellfish. shellfish. Well, unless it's a scavenger uh, on the sea, up? on the bottom of the You said it's abalone? A-B-A-L-O-N-E. Yeah. Abalone. Abalone are shellfish, a genus of gastropods. Abalone are known for their color, colorful pearlescent inside shell. This is also called an ear shell, and it's found in South Africa and New Zealand. Wow, that's fun. Um, it says they're expensive, I would imagine. Is abalone expensive? It's one, uh, is that uh, one of the food the Japanese the price, use for sushi? They, no. love, they love abalone, too. The yeah. price of wild abalone can run as high as 500 USD per kilo. So... Yeah, that's expensive. I don't even know what a kilo is. Hmm. Uh, kilo. Remember that time we were all supposed um, to? One kilo is two pounds. So two pounds of abalone can be $500. $500. Oh, oh my goodness. It's more expensive than lobster. No wonder oh, most yeah. of us never had it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Maybe wagyu. we don't mind, actually. And there's another one I always wondered about, a sponge fish. You can't get that anymore. That's supposed to be all gone. They I never heard of it. Sponge of fish. They used to get that in, out in San Francisco. Yeah. Mm. Um, 
What about what do you? Yeah. That's a sponge fish. Oh. Yeah, read us about it. What is what? What is it? I mean. Uh, Let's see. Is it edible? Um, sponges are extremely slow-moving or sessile filter feeders that draw water through the pores and specialized filter cell to gather food. That's how it got its name, like a sponge. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a... It's, it's like good a eating? Is it edible? Has to be good eating. Is that how we get sponges? No. No, no, no. no. That's that bottom fish? Species... Sponges have, um, no, no. Humans, humans are not one of the species that can eat. Really? Can eat sponges. So there are some birds, some turtles, and some angelfish that could eat sponges, but humans can't. Do we use eat. it for anything? There was a sponge industry out in California. They used to fish for them. I'm not in, yeah, in San Francisco. And I'm wondering what they went fit, why, why they were after them then. Yes, yeah, what I'm um, asking. Okay. And the Portuguese sponges, in Florida are, would go for oh, the sponge. Sponges are filter feeders, so a lot of people yeah. like to buy them for their fish tanks. That's because what I was going to say. If you just drop a, un, like a live sponge, like an undersea yeah, sponge, into like your fish tank, they'll clean thing. it. They'll keep, they'll eat, like, say that your, you know, your fish are like, uh, you know, whatever. The waste? They'll, yeah, they'll, they'll filter the, they'll the waste, they'll keep the fish clean. Yeah. And obviously, only certain fish eat them, so your fish won't bother it. Mm -hmm. And it's just like having like a pet, basically. But you know, my pet sponge. A pet sponge, mm -hmm. yeah. It just takes yeah. care of your other pets. It's like a babysitter. Are we missing lunch? No, we should go down now, though. We're one minute over. It's in. that time. Well, that was so a good talk about World War Two. <laughs> <laughs> and other things. Yeah, next week, when we're talking about presidents next week. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.